I feel like what meditation does is it assists you in walking on your path and being able to take whatever you're seeing from that path and just accept that it's there. My guest today is Radhika Vakaria. Radhika is a musical artist, meditator, yoga instructor, and performer. Her unique blended culture of Indian, East African, and British background display themselves in her music as a blend of Sanskrit mantras, philosophies, and storytelling. Radhika's online speaking sessions in the app Clubhouse have attracted over 50,000 listeners. She's been a special guest performer on Roger Love's Voice of Success Conference, performed at South by Southwest, and the Summer Gala for the International Center of Missing and Exploited Children. Radhika is such an interesting individual that actually makes you feel lighter after speaking with her. She has a profound understanding of meditation and a beautiful skill to navigate these conversations that I think inspires many people to take that first step into being more mindful and more present. Please enjoy the episode. This episode is brought to you by Momentus. Momentus specializes in sports nutrition products that are designed to optimize your active life. They're trusted by experts like Dr. Andrew Huberman, Dr. Kelly Starrett, and over 150 professional and collegiate sports teams. Momentus takes pride in having the highest quality ingredients that are backed by rock solid science. If you're still questioning their track record, just know that over 72% of NFL teams consistently purchase product from Momentus for their athletes. When you're ready to grab some of the highest quality products on the market, go to livemomentous.com, spelled out, that's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com, and use the code DOSE, D-O-S-E, at checkout to get 15% off. Again, that's livemomentous.com, use the code DOSE at checkout to get 15% off your entire purchase. This episode is also sponsored by BetterHelp. Let me tell you, the pandemic was a strange time filled with anxiety and confusion for a lot of us. For me, being cooped up in my house and having to work with COVID patients made me an anxious mess at times. I didn't feel like I had anywhere to go, so I looked into virtual therapy and I found BetterHelp. They partnered me up with a therapist that fit my needs and I had massive benefit from my very first visit. So if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, today's sponsor BetterHelp is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions, plus you can exchange unlimited messages and everything you share is completely confidential. You can request a new therapist at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Right now, you can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Dalton. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dalton, D-A-L-T-O-N. So quit waiting around, go get some help, people. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. This episode is also sponsored by 8sleep. And my God, do I love 8sleep. 
I've been sleeping on their pod cover and absolutely loving it. The human race is sleeping less now than any other time in the last century, and eight sleep technology is here to change that. For optimal sleep, your core temperature should fluctuate across sleep cycles to ensure deep rest, but it depends on the room temperature, your diet, exercise, along with many other factors. Their pod and pod cover products adjust your temperature automatically based on your personal preferences to provide you with the best sleep. One of my favorite features is the alarm. It will gently vibrate my side of the bed awake instead of listening to a loud startling alarm on my phone that wakes me up. It's also perfect for couples because of their dual system. My wife prefers hot and I prefer cold. No problem because our cover is set to keep my side bone chilling cold, which is my preference, and hers nice and cozy warm. We both sleep better in the comfort of our own temperatures. So if you want the best night's sleep of your life, you've got to try 8sleep. Go to 8sleep.com, that's spelled out E-I-G-H-T-S-L-E-E-P.com, and you can use my code DALTON at checkout to get $50 off your order. They're constantly running deals, which you can stack on top of my code to get even more of a discount. Just use my name, DALTON, D-A-L-T-O-N, at checkout to get $50 off your 8sleep pod or pod cover and enjoy the best night's sleep of your life. Radica, I would love to start off with a very general question. Why meditate? And then maybe why do you meditate specifically? Hmm. Why not? It's a great answer. Why not meditate? Yeah. <laughs> when did when did you start? Gosh, I started about 20 years ago. And I came to it through a breathing practice actually a kriya practice that someone recommended to me who said oh you love to sing this would be really good this is really good for singers that's how it got me kriya is that what you said yeah yeah it's like a it's like a kriya practice it's like a a type of um a, a blend of a pranayama breathing and mm. different breathing techniques and so it's um it, it's it's a whole thing called kriya and um which is really a practice that's what it means it's a practice a regular practice and then I came to it through that. But after you do any breathing practice or physical practice in from Eastern spirituality or Eastern um, methodology, really all of it is to get you ready for meditation. That's really the whole point of it. Like even when you're doing yoga, the whole point of the asana, physical postures of, of yoga is to help you get rid of the agitation to be able to sit for meditation. Mm. So it was like a really nice, um, gentle gateway and kind of beginning for me to go oh what's next and then next it's like oh well after you breathe what do you do you sit and see what's in between the breath and that's what meditation is yeah how long did that take to get you into a a consistent daily practice i fell on and off for a little while as everyone does They're like oh it's great yeah. you know you do it consistently for six months and then you know you fall away and then you begin to feel like uh, something's missing from my life. I I know I've touched clarity and I know what that feels like and I'm not feeling clear right now. So going back and forth, you know, if I'm honest, some people say, some people say, right, once I did it, I was hooked, never dropped it. Um, I would say my path was like in and out, in and out for a couple of years. And then, and then it just became part of my life. Yeah. And now I it's like brushing your teeth. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that's where I'm at. Is I'm in that first couple of year stage where I've been, 
I've been in that in and out period where whenever I first started, I started for, um, I was, it was at a kind of an anxious time in my life. And so I used that as a, as a way to really focus on breathing, which then some breathing exercises similar to you wasn't for singing, but some breathing exercises led me into meditation. And I was pretty good at consistency for a little while. And then, like you said, fell off and then thought, well, I'm not feeling exactly like how I would like to feel. I'm a little more anxious or I'm not in the present moment. So I need to start getting back into meditation. And so I would kind of get back into it for a little bit. And I'd say I'm, I'm kind of still in that, but it has been probably less than two years since I first began that journey. So maybe I'm in the same boat as you and I'll get close to yeah. getting into that, into that daily, that daily routine. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing with meditation is you have a whole life to get it right, right? So right. I think the most important thing about any of these things, I mean, any of these any of these practices from the East are not supposed to make you feel like you're supposed to punish yourself if you don't do it or get it wrong, right? Or, or, or not be as regular because the whole point of these practices is to bring you more peace. And so the last thing we should be doing is kind of being hard on ourselves. And, you know, it's like one day it will just click. And but I think non-judgment is the most important thing. Not feeling guilty is the most important thing. Um, you know, we don't incentivize ourselves when we feel guilty. We don't ever do that. It's, it's not a good carrot to dangle in front of us. Yeah. Feeling good is the way to really motivate us. And um, yeah, it'll it'll come. You know, meditation comes to people for many different reasons in many different ways and whatever path you are, whatever part of your path you're on. And just the fact that you get to touch it and experience it and just have this moment where kind of the gates open to something so beautiful and calm. Once you see that, you will want to go back. You know, you yeah. will. Um, I don't know any person who has said, People have said, like, I've gone to a dance class. Yeah, I did it for a little bit and I fell away and I never went back to dance, right? But you don't ever meet people who said, yeah, I went and learned some meditation and then, yeah, it wasn't for me and then didn't touch it for the rest of their lives. <laughs> like, it, it just doesn't work that way. Like, once you've touched it, you will you will be back with it in some way, shape or form. Yeah. I've heard like, one, one thing that stuck with me whenever I first started doing um, meditation was the... And I think we've talked to, we've talked about this off air before, but how, you know, for me with, with whenever like starting this, have being in a more of an anxious time, like the, one of the best ways for me to picture or be in the, the present moment with my, my emotions and let them pass as if, as if they're clouds and not being, as you said, you put it earlier, not being judgmental towards those feelings or towards myself, but more just recognizing them. And it helped me, it helped me tremendously because it made me understand that, you know, even people who aren't quote unquote, naturally anxious people still experience anxiety just on a, a much lower level, or they just don't ruminate on it and let it, let it control them in the moment, right. Or, or in certain situations. And for me, that was nice. And I think a lot of people struggle with that is with anxiety and depressive thoughts and things there. Uh, the goal, or I guess the the optimistic outlook is that those things will just disappear forever and we'll never have them again. Right. <laughs> but, but meditation kind of, it almost just kind of sets you down in front of them and not necessarily conf 
makes you confront them, but allows, and maybe it does, but it just allows you to kind of see those things, recognize them and, and pass by. Do you think of it like that at all? Like whenever you're meditating, or is that something that people do usually at the beginning? How do you think about that? I think we don't get to cherry pick, you know, we don't get to cherry pick our states. We don't get to curate completely the life that we experience because we are in tandem and in conversation with so many aspects of life that we don't control, right? So there are going to be things that happen that cause us to feel anxious. And sometimes when we when we overthink, that is a surefire way to feeling depressed because I think, think overthinking is the, is the first step to anything that keeps you trapped. Like anything that keeps you trapped in thought is not going to end very well most times um and so i feel like what meditation does is it assists you in walking on your path and being able to take whatever you're seeing from that path and just accept that it's there you know when you're walking down a street you see many types of buildings many types of people Things were constructed at different times for different reasons. There may be things in the road. There may be situations happening, good, bad, challenging, exciting, right? The key to meditation is the equanimity to it all, being an observer to it all, and not allowing that which you see to really pull you away from your center, which is this observational place, right? You still engage with things. Um, and it's okay to feel things once in a while, like anxiety, a bit of depression. Every single human being feels this and feels this regularly or seldomly, depending on their constitution, how we how we're made up. Like you know, I I subscribe to the idea of um, the karmas that we come into this life with. Some people come into this life with karmas that mean that they are going to be prone more to things like depression. They're going to be prone to more things like anxiety and things like that. But once you know that and you're equipped with that knowledge, you have practices and things that you can do to help you just be aware of it and not be enslaved to it. That's, that's the difference is that when we become enslaved to the state, because the, the state is temporary, even happiness is temporary. People, people say this thing about, oh, the, the goal of life is to be happy. Goal of life isn't to be happy. The goal of life is to be present and fully experience life. The goal of life is not to be happy. It's an unsustainable state. Anyone that's selling you that pill is selling you something that's probably not possible for most, most people. Now, finding a state of joy is more sustainable, right? Joy in the face of things, because joy is bigger than the moment. Happiness is a very temporary state. Joy, I mean, even when you listen to the word joy, happy, right? Happy, it's got a different meter to joy. Right. Joy has that expansion. So if you, can, if you can be in that joy and that gratitude for life, then the things that happen will ricochet. The states of depression, they, they, they will come, but there's this overarching, you know, kind of leaning into joy and appreciation. And these things that happen, you know, you'll, We'll, we begin to realize that everything is temporary in nature, but behind it is a peace. 
if we can tap into the peace and repose in that state of peace as often as possible, you will notice things that aren't of peace a lot quicker and do something about it more rapidly, right? And so I think that it's it's like just seeing characters walk by or buildings or things on the site, you know, from the road and you just being able to still be on your road and still keep going and just allow everything to be. And just go, hey, I see you. It's good. I'm not even going to try and push you away because resistance causes persistence, right? Whatever we try and push away, actively push away, it's just like, it's like that monkey mind. They say, don't think about something. In meditation, we talk about the monkey mind. Don't think about this. Well, all you're going to do is think about this, right? So it's the same thing. And so I think that we're, we're in this age where we want everything to be perfect and we want everything to be fine. I mean, think about it. You can Photoshop a picture. You can stick a filter on your phone to alter your face and make it look smoother. Like, it's not a realistic way to live. There are pimples, there are pores, there are imperfections, and that's part of life. And um, the more we try to resist that and deny that, the more we're building a house of cards that's just going to come crashing down at one point. So meditation keeps you honest. I think it keeps you honest. And uh, honesty is a lot more of a strong foundation to operate from, not only when you're sitting in silence, but, you know, when you're walking out in the world. Yeah. No, I, I have a few things to say about that. I think the, I love the the contrast between joy and, and happy and, and having joy being more of a broad bubble that you can doesn't doesn't have to be one of those things where if you're if you're not happy from the moment you wake up to where you go to bed then you have failed that day right like i think that's something that i've i've heard somebody else talk about that recently with you know i'm i'm lucky to to be a generally a, a pretty happy person and of course i go through ups and downs like everybody else but i know a lot of people and it's i think this stems to what you were saying earlier about about social media and filters and people posting and you know, everybody posts about the good things for the most part, and they, they put filters on their life and on vacations and everything. You're, you're seeing all of the good, happy parts of their life, which makes you kind of feel depressed sometimes whenever you're not involved or you're not doing something next week. You're not going on an extravagant vacation, right? But it's that then takes you out of the, the present moment instead of feeling feeling the different feelings that you're having in that moment, enjoying the people that you're with that day, the interactions you've had, which leads me into my next question for you, which is the, the importance of being present is something that I'm just now becoming familiar with. And I think it's something that I, I actively struggle with, but try my best to do recognize, I guess, whenever I am out of the present moment or focusing on different technologies or what I have in my calendar next. My question is, what is your, what is your go-to way to being present whenever you find yourself maybe out of the, the present moment? Hmm. Are you referring to when I'm with other people or when I'm Sure, alone? sure. I guess both. I'd, I'd like to know both actually. Hmm. So I'm sure those are different. Yeah. Well, when I'm on my own, I think it's just overwhelm of activity that pulls me away from being present, you know, just focusing on one task, mm. you know, you're, you're more likely to give your hundred percent to something. If you're hundred percent present to the task at hand, or if you're trying to juggle a million things, you just, it's just not going to happen. And there's a, 
there's a feeling that I get in my body that it it very quickly tells me that this is uncomfortable. This is this is not good. This is like this is like riding a bike with not enough air in my tires. You know, that's what not being present with my tasks feels like. It's like I just can't. You know, there's I can hear the squeaking, and I just can't go as quickly, and I'm not sitting upright, and the you know, it it doesn't feel solid to me. So I think when so when I'm on my own, um, you know, that is definitely very apparent. But when I'm you know regular regularly meditating, it slows everything down. I think that's what the beauty of meditation is: is that first and foremost, it just slows you down, and it's from that point that you can even think of being present you can actually feel being present you can't do that if you're going too quickly and with regards to being with other people well I think I just learned that from my family like my I had really good examples of looking at people in the eyes when you speak to them you know I think every human being you know at the very very least what we can give give them when we're in front of them is our presence it's the most valuable validating needed to me natural thing to do because the person in front of me matters they matter and so every person I meet the first thing is to make sure that I'm looking at them in the eyes whether it's in a restaurant or a waiter comes over or you know someone who's serving or anyone um that is at the bare, bare minimum what one can do. We must own the way that we want to be, that that we would give presence to others and we ask for people to give presence to us. We must own that. Because in order for, you know, we, we've talked about a lot about mental health and we've, talk, we've talked a lot about these things. And in order for things to get better, for us to treat each other better, better we must raise the standard. We must do that, you know. I heard a Canadian elder say that, saying, in order for things to get better, we must ask for better from ourselves and from others. So I think that the mental health crisis at the moment is much down to the fact that we've got room to ask for better from ourselves, for sure. Yeah, no, I love that because it's also puts the power into your own hands because, you know, before the whole stacking thing, it was your ability to be comfortable saying that to your friends of saying, Hey, let's put the phones up and let's enjoy each other's company. Right. Mm -hmm. And other people can be, could definitely be better about that myself included. Cause I, I'm, I'm definitely not one to be on my phone in social situations, but I'm like you, I, I'm an observer. And I, I recognize that a lot, even with my own friends, it's funny, as you were talking about it, I was just thinking about, we had a, a little get together with friends the other day at the house and, you know, you can, and it's always usually the same people who are just kind of glued to social media, but they, you know, we'll be in mid conversation and with a couple other friends and we'll look over and they'll have be three people sitting at the table, just on their phone scrolling, you know, mindlessly. Right. And, uh, it kind of, uh, made my, my wife, we have one of those, uh, little letter boards in our, in our dining room. And she put up, um, do things in life that make you check your phone less. It was just, mm -hmm. a, you know, just something, something just to remind you when you look at that, of like, oh yeah, I'll be okay if I don't check my phone for an hour while I'm with my friends so we can enjoy each other's time. And it, and I almost, it's, it's interesting too, because as you were talking about this earlier, it made me think as well. I, I, I honestly, I don't, I don't think at all that it has anything to do with the people being, I don't think they're intentionally being rude. Right. I think it's just become a, 
it's become a habit and kind of a, if there's any sort of quote unquote bored or like dead air, they just immediately pick up the phone instead of trying to think about the next thing or just to, to conversate naturally. Right. And I think we've, we've lost a lot of that as technology has advanced. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I used to be somebody who, you know, blame technology, but we have choice. Yeah. We have free will. Yeah. And humans, humans, you know, are incredibly capable creatures, but we also can, de we develop habits. We develop helpful ones, purposeful ones, and ones that aren't necessarily helpful <laughs> to ourselves and other people. And, um, the way I see it is that there is a harmony to life that has been dissolved a little bit, you know, um, and it's up to us to recalibrate and reestablish that harmony. And first of all, it starts with the harmony of self, right? Like when I'm in public or I'm in a waiting room, I intentionally don't, you know, just sit there looking at my phone. If I have messages to check and all that kind of stuff, that's fine. But I'll sit and I'll just look around like, you know, things like it used to be done, you know, just look around and be okay with just being there. Because that's not only an important for us, it's also an important example for children. Hmm. It's a really important example for children, for people around. Be comfortable in your own skin. If you're not comfortable in your own skin, how can we ask anybody else to be comfortable around you? Right. So yeah. you actually begin to develop a lot more natural gravity, you know, and that presence and that okayness of being embodied can actually do wonders for your life. Wonders for confidence, wonders for the things that you want to achieve. It can alter your voice. It can actually alter your voice. How so? The way, the way that you articulate yourself. Think about it. If you're more comfortable in your own skin and you're okay being embodied and you actually quite like being embodied, don't you think that's going to resonate in your voice and the way that you speak? Yeah. So it really does have a huge impact um, through many different streams. And um, people feel that. People feel that even without you saying a word. You you know, I've, I've had the honor and the privilege to be in rooms with people who are enlightened. Like, and, and, I, and I don't say that lightly because very few people actually are enlightened on this planet right now. And I've had the fortune to be in spaces with them and they walk in, they don't even have to say one word. And there's just this luminescence that comes out of them. Even people who aren't on a pedestal, you've, you've met some, you've met people who are very comfortable in themselves and you can just feel it. Right? It has, it has a gravity and we all, we all can access that. What does it mean to be enlightened? What does it mean to be enlightened? It goes to the idea of self-realized, be 
living in total and complete awareness, ascended, unfazed, like beyond the material world. So enlightened person is someone has mastered life to the point where they are beyond this material existence. Everything is material, like this body is considered material, like this material body, because it's finite, it has a limit. Then there's a part of you that is infinite, infinite, right? That is beyond the body. We believe that, you know, there's a soul that continues. An enlightened person is one who is very established in the soul that no matter what happens in the material world, that can end tomorrow, wouldn't make a difference. Wow. And so you said that you've been lucky enough to be in rooms with, with these with these enlightened individuals. So I'm assuming and maybe you do know these people's past before they walk in, but um, my question would be, do you have the people that you've recognized them as being enlightened or those people that, that you know their past or just something that when they walk in, you just, you just recognize that through the way they carry themselves or speak? You know, I have in all honesty, a natural resistance to stories um or pasts you know like uh, being sold the idea that somebody is something um because coming up in an indian culture so i'm british i was i was born in london my parents are from east africa my grandparents are from india and there are you know figures throughout history that pop up and teachers here and spiritual figures here and it's like a dozen aboard born a day right and then even in the world now you've got people declaring themselves and saying I've been through this and hence that means I'm this you know stories are told to you know stories are told to to inspire but they're also told to convince and we need to know the difference especially in this day where everybody has mm -hmm. access to a microphone and a, and a laptop and a phone and social media. We had talked in the past about how you, you don't necessarily, you, you kind of just stumble upon a good teacher or the teacher that was right for you at the moment, right? We're not just, I'm, I'm not going out and, and calling a ton of, of yoga, yoga practitioners. And like, whenever, whenever you start getting interested in, yoga or interested in meditation and you start kind of educating yourself on the different forms of meditation, you try different things, you tend to stumble upon uh, a teacher that really fits, fits you. Right. And I'd love for you to talk on that a little bit on just kind of how to uh, maybe, maybe how to stumble upon or how to experiment with different meditation practices. Mm -hmm. So there's a very fine line because, okay. So, there is a saying that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Mm. So when it happens like that, when it comes to you and there's this moment of, ah, this is it. There's a test that happens on, on this path. You'll feel, ah, this is it. Wow, this is amazing. I found my teacher. This practice is amazing. My life feels so good. And then in about six months time, the mind will start coming in and going, is this it? Really? There must be more. Nah, this is not working for me. I've got to go somewhere else. The monkey mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And if you keep doing that, you'll never go deep with anything. So if you find something that feels really good, that feels right for you, within the first few months, you're like, yeah, this is it. And then you start experiencing this, nah, I'm not sure I want to go find something else. That's a test. That part is a test. Because if you don't fall for that, if you fall for that test, you won't go deeper. Hmm. There's, these, there, there's always these challenges to the path where the ego is going to rise, the mind's going to get in the way, boredom is going to set in, and it's always going to challenge you. Because in order to go deep, that's not a straight shot path for most people. There's always going to be these challenges and rubbings. And so once you do find something that feels like, yes, this, this is it, stick with it. Really stick with it, no matter what. Because it's only then. It's like that, um, that diagram that you see of the two guys in the tunnel underground and they're like hacking away. And, and one guy gets like, and they both get to the same distance in their tunnel. And one guy turns around and walks the other way. And the other guy keeps going. And there's a pot of this pot of gold, like right on the other side of where he's digging. That's always going to be there. At the moment that you want to give up and walk away is the moment that there's something really beautiful on the other side. I love that. And I, as you were talking about that, I built a parallel of something that I've been thinking about a lot lately that I, I can't coin it to a certain person. I'm, I can't remember exactly who it came from, but whenever you were talking about that, it made me think about, you know, in my life, I'm one of those people that I get, ex I get really excited about stuff and I just go in and I start researching it and I start trying to implement it in my own life. And I, I just get excited and I just go on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, but I don't ever give myself a chance to go deep. Right. And the way that it was presented was, and it, you can, you can look at this and daily habits and nutrition and building businesses, you know, you get excited about something and you chase that, that excitement. And whenever things start to maybe get a little boring or that new carrot gets dangled off a little bit to the left, you go off in that direction, right? So you build a bunch of, you build a bunch of half bridges, right? They're like half built bridges. And at the end, you could have 12, 24, a hundred half built bridges and never quite get to that the other side of the bridge where the, where the real fun starts to happen. Right. Yeah. I love the way you put that. You build all these half bridges so you can't really go anywhere. You, you never, yeah, you never get across. You're always in that same area. You're that guy that turned yeah. around in the, in the cave. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so it's, it's especially in this day and age where there's so many options. There's so many options. I mean, you, you go through Instagram and you go through, you've got course after course after course find yourself, be happy, connect with your inner peace, all of this stuff. Amazing that we live in a time where that's what we're being bombarded with. Can you imagine like 10 years ago, we didn't even imagine that these are the kinds of things. It's not a bad problem to have, but with this excess of choice, we still need to exercise our will and we still need to choose, right? Otherwise, we're always going to be swept by the wave we're always going to be at the mercy of the current, right? But why do we admire swimmers? Because they swim no matter what the current is. They still manage to go, right? So that's the that's the challenge of yeah. now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have like, to choose. And, and I think that there's this, you know, as you, as, as you were speaking, 
it occurs to me that the reason why we get swept is because we don't trust enough. We don't trust ourselves enough. You know, the more trust that we have in ourselves, and we go, no, this is, I'm good. Like, I trust myself that this is the right thing. I'm not going to be tempted by all of the other cookies and chocolates in the store. I'm going to just stick with what I have. And you create trust between you and your practice. Think about it. Think about it this way, Dalton. Like, you have a friend. And you have a really good relationship with that friend. You meet with them for a walk every week or whatever. Or you're developing this friendship. In order for that friendship to go deeper, you have to trust each other. You have to commit to each other. You have to understand that the growth will only come with this when you spend time together, right? Friendships, relationships, or whatever. We do this with things in our life. Actually, I would say that actually we're not doing that enough with our relationships. But it's the same thing. If you look at how relationships break down, communication breaks down. Why does communication break down in the world? What's the one number one fundamental reason? Lack of trust. Not just trust of the other person, but trust of ourselves. We don't trust ourselves that we can make it through a difficulty in a relationship or difficulty in a conversation. We run away, right? The moment things get difficult. It's the same with meditation. Meditation is like your friend. And sometimes it's going to get difficult. Sometimes it's going to be challenging. But you have to trust it. You have to show it that you trust it and trust yourself. Yeah, I love it. Trust yourself. I think that's something that, that a lot of people struggle with and maybe don't even don't even know they struggle with it, right? But I, you know, earlier you were talking about technology and how you don't you don't blame technology and everybody has the choice and it's your decision on what you do. And it 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 reminded me and I want to talk about technology real quick, but it it reminded me that whenever I'm I'm a fitness geek. I love all things like in, involved with my numbers and how I'm doing and sleeping scores and all this sort of stuff. But for me, it got overwhelming and I, I used to wear an Apple watch and an Apple watch, as you probably, as you know, you know, whenever I'm with patients or when I'm with friends or family, it doesn't matter. It's going to vibrate and make noise. Right. And so for myself, it was that, that monkey mind of whenever something vibrated, I'm going to look at my, I'm going to look at my, my wrist. Right. And even if I'm not answering that text or answering that email or glancing at whatever that noise was, it takes me away from the conversation and I'll get back in, but I've lost something there. I've lost that connection. Right. And so it took me probably four or five months to realize this has got to come off my wrist. I just, it's just not for me. Right. I've got to get rid of this great for some people, but not for me. Right. And I, I worry, I don't, maybe worry is a, a wrong, the wrong word, but I'm, I'm extremely interested and I love technology. And I, I know that as things continue to become more immersive and more compelling to get, to get involved in, um, and more built into our everyday lives that we don't even recognize it. Um, I think I, I, I worry that, I guess I, I do worry. <laughs> I worry that the people will continue to get more caught up in and, and less involved in human to human interaction. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that maybe that's, maybe that's where meditation can play even a bigger role in being able to be present and recognize that. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think there is a time for things. And there is a time for not things. <laughs> you know, that's the harmony and balance of life. Like, if you look at even the seasons, and you look at nature, there's a doing and there's a resting. It's the same with us. There is a time and a place for technology, right? Algorithms aside and the humans behind the technology definitely have an agenda, but the technology itself, well, when I say technology, I mean without the agenda of keeping you on it. I mm -hmm. just mean like the actual amazingness that these things can do, right? And how yeah. much connection we can have and how much transformation we can have and transmission we can have experience. So there's a time for doing and there's a time for not doing. You see this in the natural world. We are part of the natural world. We like to believe that we're above it, but we're not. Humans are part of the natural world. We are. And it's only when we don't operate that way and we don't understand that we have a season we go through an entire season in one day in one day we go through an entire season right the sun rises and then it goes to midday it's the height of the day and then it goes to the afternoon and then it cools down at night that's an entire year in one day so that's how that's important to register and integrate and understand it's, it's not even integration it's actually how we're made so there is a time for use of technology and a time for not just like there's a time for doing things and there's time for not meditation is active rest right it's an active restfulness that happens which is why when you do certain meditation practices it's like sleeping for several hours even though you've only just sat down for 20 minutes it pulled all these things from your subconscious and scrubbed and cleaned and you've dived deep and in 20 minutes you move a lot which is why sometimes when you open your eyes you, you actually don't want to open your eyes have you noticed that when you're meditating yeah. at first it's like oh how am I going to sit here for that long and the mind is spiraling and it's going all over the place and you might be annoyed or irritated or a task might come up and all these kinds of things how am I going to sit here? But when it gets to the end of that time, oftentimes we just don't want to open our eyes. Why? Because we tapped into something that is so beyond all of the doing and it feels good. Yeah. It feels good. It does. I think, I think especially with, with today's society, we're so caught up in optimizing every second of our day that it's always the, it's always the doing it's, it's never, it's never not the doing phase, right? You're always trying to do something. Um, mm -hmm. and I, and, and that's something that I've been, been thoughtful of. And have you ever, have you heard of the book 4,000 weeks before? No, I haven't. Actually. So, um, it's, it's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm admittedly not all, all the way through it. I'm in the process of reading it, but, uh, the whole premise behind the book is explaining how, um, you know, a better, a better way to have presented this was, would be of, to have asked you the question first, but, um, the author, who I believe is Oliver Berkman, asked a lot of people, how many weeks do you think you have in general to live, right? And a lot of people answered, you know, 50,000, 100,000, 500,000 weeks. When you break it down, roughly like in your, if you live to be in your middle of your 80s, you have about 4,000 weeks, which when you break it down is not that much, 
right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what the book talks about uh, is you only have, time is all you have, right? And if if you're always worried about trying to fill it with something or you're trying to optimize it fully, you will continue, even whenever you, if you're quote unquote trying to optimize to open up more time for your schedule, you're going to fill that new open time with something with something new, right? Because we're always trying to do new things, pursue new goals, and we're not in ever enjoying the do nothing moments, right? Mm-hmm. And and being in that in that moment and the beauty that that is. And so that book has been inspiring for me and just reminded me from from what you were talking about of those moments where you just sit and you're doing absolutely nothing, but you have that you get kind of get the chills sometimes whenever you're just sitting there, if you, if you have that moment, you know, during, during meditation. And I've had that a few times. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that you put that that way. Some people would be freaked out and they would hear that and go, Oh my God, I have to do more. Yeah. But I always ask myself, you know, I know maybe because I was around, I was around, you know, death, very young in the Indian culture, you see dead, but when someone dies, you see the body brought into the house and it's just part of life, death. (laughs) So there's like an impermanence to things. And um, there's an understanding that, you know, it's like, what are we doing all of this for? Like why, you know, we, we, we want to do all of these things and achieve so much and say like, have this huge list by the end of the end of this life that we have with this huge resume of the things that we did. So what? Like, so what? You're going to have more impact in what you do. If you do five things in your life, but you do those five things with immense clarity, presence, love, intention, depth, nourishment, peace, those five things have more of a ripple effect than doing a hundred things being scattered being you know rushed panicked pressured because those things don't those things won't have the organic that free energy to really go out because what we do in this world what we do has a continual effect it's, it's not just you and I having this conversation here, right? Think about the effect of podcasts. You start with a, you start with a conversation with one person. You start with a phone call or a text on Twitter. Hey, or you meet in a Twitter space, okay? You meet in a Twitter space, have a couple of interactions. Then it's, hey, do you want to do a podcast? Then you arrange it. Then you, and then you, you use certain apps to arrange the podcast. So that's an effect. Okay, Twitter space is in effect with the people in there, the apps that you use, you're interacting with that, that has an effect on that, those businesses, then you come and record a podcast, and then you're going to put this on somewhere else. Do you see how an interaction with just two people partakes and creates so many other things? Yeah. That's just one conversation or one interaction. Now imagine that you're doing, you do five projects in your entire life. And by projects, I mean, it could be having a family doing is having a family, cultivating relationships, building a business, getting married, traveling, all these different things. It's not just money-oriented things, but we have a ripple effect through every single person that we touch through that process and everything we use 
integrated into those processes. And I wouldn't say that I know much. I say that I'm still a student in life, but I know in my bones that when you do things with clarity, peace, and calm, that has a potency that is immeasurable. That has an effect that is so far reaching and that energy touches and reaches so many people. And it's not even our right to know where that's going to end up. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's amazing because I think I, I, what you said in there was that we tend to focus on so many different things at once. Right. And if you could focus on five things, it sounds absurd, but if you break it down, you know, if you're, if you live in a, a normal, uh, let's say a normal length of length of life, uh, an average length of life, we'll say, you know, whenever you're 20, 25, you would inevitably have five to six decades to do good in this world or do what you want to do. You could spend a decade on five different ideas. That's a, that's a full decade that you could dedicate towards something, right? Mm -hmm. And it sounds crazy because people who are in their mid twenties or even early thirties or forties think that I've got to do this now, I got to do this now, or I'm never going to get there, right? But if you could, and it also sounds crazy for those people to think, about dedicating a decade to one thing, right? And then that maybe you, maybe that one decade turns into two or three, but that's a really meaningful one of your five, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I love, I love you putting that together because I think that's something that people, myself included, can, can learn from and, and take a, take a step back from life and really think about what are those, if it, if it's five, you know, for ease of example, what are those five things that you want to, put forward the most effort towards and what's the one thing you want to do right now and be be the most uh, provide the most meaning to the world that you you know that you think you can right so beautifully put really really beautifully put you know as you were speaking it made me think of legacy and you know you hear often people say I have to leave a legacy and there's so much ego in that for what? Like, you're not going to be around. <laughs> but instead of worrying about being known for something, how about just doing it? Just, you know, because you free up so much of your energy when you stop thinking about being thought about. You free up so much energy. You allow it to reach further. Um, just there's, there's so much obsession with being recognized and known for things if you look at some of the people who created the most important things of our time you wouldn't even know their names you know yeah. but they did it because it was important to them they did it because they dedicated themselves you know they dedicated themselves and I think that just rather than legacy live in purpose you know yeah. the legacy will come that that that's like a by legacy to me is a byproduct of doing something meaningful you know that's like the nice little label on it great but do something meaningful and do you don't need to do a million things you know there's a saying in um there are many, many stories in the Vedas. The Vedas is where like a lot of Eastern spirituality comes from, the Vedic sciences and the, the stories and the philosophies in there. And there's the idea of karma. And uh, 
karma is a very, very complex subject, like very complex. It isn't just a matter of, hey, I do this and then that will happen. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a giant basket of balls that are all different karmas and then every second another ball is being thrown in there because we're constantly creating karmas and you just don't know how that's going to turn out but um there's a there's a principle in with the idea of karma is that you are going to bring more good karma and burn more challenging karmas by doing one kindness to one person without needing to show it off to anybody than helping a thousand people but showing that off to everybody because one is tainted with ego and one is not not to say the one with a thousand people is bad but there's a purity in doing things because that's your nature and you're just in it and this age is so obsessed with showing everything we're doing that I think it it hinders us from really doing things from a meaningful place and having the impact that it, we really want it to have, you know. Um, impact is powerful without needing to measure it. When you need to measure impact, it becomes less powerful. Yeah, I think, you know, the, you had mentioned, you had mentioned earlier about being comfortable with death, you know, due to being in the the Indian culture. And it made me think about the people that I interact with on a day to day basis are in their towards the end stages of life, right? And I'm, I'm lucky in a lot of ways for that because of the, the lessons and interactions that I get to have with them. But one thing that to bring that together with what you just said, the one thing that that I've recognized a lot with myself is the, the love that I have for the one-to-one -one interaction and being able to, you know, take away just a little, a little pinpoint of that interaction, whether I recognize it or not into the next patient or the next conversation, or taking a little piece of the conversation that you and I have had today and take that into, uh, maybe I just naturally just that carries over into a patient tomorrow and they needed that tomorrow. You know, I think that's the kind of stuff that it, it, that is the, the meaning, right. And being on a, on a stage talking to a thousand people, and maybe you can get with that one person, one person in the crowd that resonates with you, but it's those individual interactions and being able to, you know, to talk about the, the death part again, being in this culture, we don't get a lot of, um, we don't have the same experience as what you have, you know, growing up. And so um, for me, I didn't get more comfortable with that until I was with a lot of elderly people who, who pass. I mean, I've had over a hundred or hundreds that have passed and um, it becomes not necessarily desensitizing, but as much as gives me a chance to be introspective on the experiences that I have with that person and remembering them and being able to take that, the little piece of those interactions into the next person and be a little bit better and help them out a little bit more. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's giving me more of a, uh, of a better relationship of a relationship with that and understanding that it is, it is finite, you know, but, but they can live on through, even if, like I said, just a little pinprick of, of that in interaction between me and them. And I can take that into other people. It's not about 
my legacy, my kids' kids' kids won't have, won't know who I am, right? But they will hopefully have a little bit of piece of who I was and how I interacted with my kids and their friends and uh, the people around me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful that you recognize that. It's taken it's, it's taken some time, but I I, <laughs> I, I love it though. Mm. And there's so much wisdom in people who've been around longer than us. You know, they're like walking libraries. In the in, in Eastern cultures, in the Indian culture, we pay deep respect to our elders. You know, we bow to elders, we touch our parents' feet. Like it's a, a really because they are kind of guardians who've seen things before we have and seen a world in a time before we have and there's just so much that comes and they've carried so much you know and we are because of them so the elder generation like whenever I meet older people I just feel this phenomenal amount of respect for them because they've seen more and it doesn't matter what I don't really matter what side of the political fence they're on or anything like that 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 stuff is you know, that, that stuff changes with the tides, right? Just like all these other things, they change with the tides. But what is consistent is that they're human and that everyone has something to share with us, every person. You just don't know where that's going to come. And that's why it's important not to dismiss people. It's really important to give people your time. And you know it's 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 a great blessing actually if you can if you can assist people towards the end of your life you're actually doing something incredibly spiritually powerful like it's a great great service it's like a, it's a service to the soul and so it's really really beautiful and as it seems you you I'm sure you didn't approach it from that way but actually deeply there's a there's a huge impact that has for you and your family and for the, you know, for everything going forward. So when we take care of our elders and we take care of people, especially in the end stages of life, it's considered an incredible blessing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the more that we can be present in ourselves in each individual conversation, you never know what the other individual will take away from that, you know? And so that's why I love what you said about being, being truthful with ourselves and, and being honest with ourselves and being comfortable will allow us to be the best version of ourselves in every interaction. And it made me think about just really quick story. I met a lady that has um, ALS. And um, for those that don't know, that is a, um, it is a, it is a life ending disease and it's, it's a very quick and rapid, rapid deterioration um, of the body. And this lady um, who will, in all honesty, likely pass away in the next six months was the happiest lady that I've seen that I saw, you know, all week. And, um, it was, it was eye opening to me and something that I'll take away for a long, long time. And she probably didn't even think anything of it. Right. But for her, she was joking. She was laughing. She was saying, you know, if I'm going to die, I'm going to eat my, I'm going to eat cake and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to, you know, she was just like (laughs) saying these things that, that, you could tell it wasn't fake. She wasn't trying to put on a front. She was just truly, she had um, become, she, she was being honest with herself and understanding the, the truth and she was being being who she was, right? And it was beautiful. And it, it just, it sat, it sat with me. 
Yeah, I mean, that's wonderful to hear. It sounds like she's made complete peace with who she is. You know, when we when we make peace with who we are, there's no fear of things ending. The only reason we fear things ending is because we feel like we don't have enough time to really be who we are. Yeah. And this is why so many people panic about, you know, the loss of things, the loss of the life that they perceive, the loss of this body, the loss of relationships is actually what it makes them realize is that they haven't been living authentically. You know, it's, it's the whole idea of a near-death experience. People say, oh my God, I had a near-death experience. And now I realize I'm going to do this with my life, right? Because when you have a near-death experience, you realize how finite things actually are. And you're like, oh my God, this whole time I've been focused on something that is not really me. Not every, you know, we don't need to have a near-death experience. We, we, we shouldn't have to come close to death to realize that. Everything in this world is temporary. Our lives are temporary. And that, again, that, that doesn't mean you try and do a million things. Instead of trying to do a lot, do what makes you happy. Make sure that, or, or joyous. As brings you joy. Yeah. Brings you joy. Do the things that bring you joy. And there's going to be less pressure on yourself. And because what's the point in doing a lot of things if you're not feeling joy from doing them? It's a miserable existence, yeah. you know? So the world is, it's a tough place. You know, we are, we're not living in little tribal villages anymore or little local towns anymore. We are exposed and bombarded with the entire world all the time that's tough you're dealing with a lot of energies and opinions and thoughts and agendas and all these things so it's in a way it's a battle to be human in a way and especially in this time it's definitely a battle to be human but why do we admire superhero movies so much why because they're able to let things ricochet off them. They have something. They have, they have found something in themselves that they can like bring up out of the darkness every single time. They know it's there. Then no matter what demons come on them, no matter what difficult situation they're, they're, they're in, they have that superpower. They know what their go-to is. That's meditation. That's knowing yourself. That is being in that state of peace every day. That is your superpower. And yeah. everyone has that access to that superpower. I think that is a beautiful place to end off. I mean, that's that's amazingly put, Radhika. We're going to have to do a part two because I wanted to talk to you about music. Um, <laughs> I love where this conversation went, though, but I, I do want to get into music at some point. Um, but if you can, share with everybody where they can find you. What are you doing in the, in the world right now? Sure, thank you. So of course. I'm, I'm an artist. And I do a little speaking. <laughs> um, I sing mantra-based music, consciousness-based music. So I sing in Sanskrit, which is a language that's basically over 5,000 years old. It's a vibratory language, language of nature. And mantra is known to really help with a lot of um, uh, mental states, um, you know, challenges that we may be facing in life. Mantra is kind of like, it used to be prescribed uh, 
way back in the day, it used to actually be prescribed as medicine for you, right? And I know we have to be careful using the word medicine. So, but in ancient practices, we, we have these techniques. So I actually work with mantra and I work with people and uh, and I, I also sing. So I'm an artist as well. So I, I do these mantras in music form that people seem to really love. And I've had some really great collaborations. I played at South by Southwest earlier this year. Wow. Which was awesome to play this music there. I have a collaboration with Jeff Koons right now where my, my voice is actually playing as part of his long-awaited exhibition in Greece at this uh, the Apollo exhibition. So if anyone's there, they can actually hear my voice um, as part of Jeff Koons' exhibition there. Wow. <laughs> which is which was really unexpected. But this is the power of this music. And um, yeah, so it's it's lovely to be able to take this kind of thing into realms and spaces that are unique and unusual and you know these sounds really do you know we talked about bridges earlier you know sanskrit and these sounds and this music it's uh not 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 just what it does for me but the responses that i've had from people basically says that it's a bridge back to themselves that's really what it is you know it's um it dissolves a lot of the um the things that we carry and we burden ourselves with or that the world's throwing at us and instantaneously in a sound or a mantra you can experience extreme clarity to me it's like superfood for the mind and so that's what i that's what i do amazing and where can people find you what's the best place to get in touch with you sure so you can go to my instagram uh and you can go to my website radhikabakaria.com i am going to be conducting individual guidance energetic uh mantra healings for people now i was doing it on clubhouse last between in the last 18 months on clubhouse i've held sessions that have reached fifty thousand people wow. on clubhouse i was hosting this and so i decided to do it individually for people so i will go into your actual astrological birth chart and i'll curate the session for you specifically and uh yeah so you'll find me there you'll find news and events there there are a lot of really cool things coming up so yeah thanks for oh, letting me share of course of course and we'll put links to everything in the show notes i can say i've i've checked your um album out on spotify it's absolutely beautiful so people should definitely go on spotify and, and just search your name and they'll find they'll find your music on there as well yeah. of course mm -hmm. well radica thank you as always i always feel like whenever i leave conversations with you i'm kind of like floating a little bit i just feel like i'm like I've got a little extra something. So thank you so much. I know that people will feel the same way. And uh, yeah, just beautiful conversation. Thank you again. And remember everybody, like Radhika said, meditation is your superpower. So use it. But <laughs> all right. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, if you did enjoy this episode, we'd be honored if you could hop on Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. It helps us out a lot. Also, check out our sponsors and the links provided in the show notes for some great discounts on products. Sign up for our newsletter at compoundhp.com. And if you have any questions, comments, or even if you just want to complain about my personality flaws, you can email me directly at dalton at compoundhp.com. would love to connect with all of you. Until next time, be happy, be healthy.